Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, God. Yeah. I, let me let me just say something right off the top. All right. If I can par for our listeners out there, if I can paraphrase the Godfather, okay? The time may come in the future when the Westlot Pirates ask a favor of you, and that day may never come. Uh, but we may ask you to buy a T-shirt or come visit us at our tailgate or come to our bowl watch party. And when you're sitting there considering whether or not to do that favor for us, I want you to remember this podcast. Because <laughs> we all have children that we could be playing with right now. And instead, we're going to shotgun some Epicac and vomit this game back up for you. Uh, and go line by line and take it all through. Uh, we don't want to be doing this any more than anyone would. But we're going to do it because we love the cats and we love our pod. But just remember, someday when you're pondering doing a good turn by the Westlot Pirates, that we did this good turn for y'all. Well put, sir. Well, let's, you know, I mean, the good people don't want to, like, don't want to quite relive it the way we all lived it the other (laughs) night either, right? So just for emphasis, like, we're going to, we're going to search for some, I'm not going to say spin, but for some stuff to, to look at moving forward. And we're also, we're all, we're also going to talk about the fact that this was frankly predictable. And we're also not playing like any dirges here. We're not, you know, the undertaker's music is not playing as the dead man's walking down the ramp here. That's like, you know, it's game three. I, I think to last year when we're two and three, um, after just getting shellacked by Penn State, we thought this like we were ready to pack in the season, and then we just went on this insane run of winning seven or eight straight down down the stretch. So the the season is early. Thorson is just getting healthier and healthier, um, and you know I I am not I'm not going to sit here and say that Akron's a good team, but they did beat us. There, I mean. They're, on a macro perspective, right, I mean, part of the reason this does sting, and this is, goes to everything that we've been talking about, we're going to be talking about, is the predictability of this. Uh, not the loss, necessarily, but, I mean, we were all talking, our friends at the Winning Cures Everything podcast were talking about placing a bet on Northwestern in this game, and we <laughs> could not sprint to them to dissuade them of that notion fast enough. Uh because the spread, as we talked about last week, was way too big for anyone who knows how Northwestern plays in these kinds of situations. And one of the sad things uh, about this whole situation is we lost this game by five. I'd say that's within two touchdowns of the score that we all reasonably would have expected this game to be. None of us, I don't think, thought we were going to lose the game, but we certainly all thought that it was going to be much closer than it had any right to be. That, and that's exactly what we talked about last week, right? Like Northwestern has a history of playing up and down to their opponent for better or worse. And I think like usually we're not quite good enough to beat the better teams and we're not quite bad enough to lose to the bad teams. And we looked at Akron and we said, well, they've got some weapons. Their QB is, is a dual threat guy. 
they've got some good wide receivers. And our defense held their offense to 20 points. No problem. Our game plan should have won. But when you give up three scores on turnovers, you don't have a chance. And, and, and the, you know, the real backbreaker is the 97-yard interception return. I mean, that's at least a 10-point swing. You know, yes, I, we that was fourth down, right? We could have... Yep. We could have yep. kicked the, an easy field goal. Apparently, uh, Charlie Kubander is nursing an injury, um, which we find out after the fact that, you know, kind of uh, made Fitz want to go for it there. But, you know, e- even if, you know, you take the the three points and, you know, the seven the other way, it's at least a 10-point swing, if not a 14-point swing. Um, and and that that's just on that one. And even if we didn't get the fourth down, you were we're pinning them deep in uh, deep in their own territory, and you know we've been doing a fairly de- decent job at not letting them put together big drives. So I mean the turnovers, I mean that that was it. That was you know the biggest reason. And yet even with all that, can, can we just briefly talk about the last thirty seconds of the game and how just moronic. Akron was and how they were running the clock out. You know, the the play that they did on fourth down where the guy just, you know, ran around and just heaved it out of bounds gives us the ball on the 30-yard line with and that's not even a Hail Mary. You know, let, let's not forget like Thorson's pass was right there. I mean, it was that close from from being a touchdown. What Akron should have done is punted because a punt would have taken much more time off the clock blasted out of bounds but that hang time of on the punt would have been enough to run out the clock or run backwards run around and take the safety i mean there's so many things that they could have done and didn't and that gave us a chance to almost win the game totally agree horrible play calling decisions in this game by the akron coaches <laughs> I, I I did say I did say is dripping all I over said, my computer right now. I said let us focus on the last thirty seconds of the game in that time frame. That's what I'm talking about. Let's now continue to talk about the other fifty nine minutes and thirty seconds of the game. Well, I, Go ahead. Look, I just want to underscore like how, like this is the mo of our coaching staff. And my assessment and. and you know, we haven't talked to anybody. We don't know this for sure. My my assessment is that this is a byproduct of the way our coaches game plan against their opponents. And I think they game plan for a, a close game where they limit possessions and control the clock and play, you know, efficiency football. Um, and by efficiency, I, I guess I don't really mean efficiency. I mean, like, like ball control, clock control, football, lots of dink and dunk, etc., and they expect to execute better than their opponent. And that's that's not a bad strategy, but it means you have zero margin for error. And this is an epidemic. Allow me to tell you about the bad times that this has cropped up in the Fitz era against non-conference opponents. 2006, New Hampshire. Granted, that, that team was coached by Chip Kelly, and Fitz was a brand-new coach, so maybe we give him a pass. 20, 20, uh, 2007, Duke, we lost by six to a team that went 1-11. Now here's where the the pattern starts. 2008, uh, we played Ohio. We only beat them by eight. 2009, we played Eastern Michigan. We only beat them by three. Later in 2009, we played Miami of Ohio. We beat them 16-6. to 2010, Central Michigan win by five. 
2011, lose on the road to Army by 7. 2014, lose by 8 to NIU at home. 2015, beat Ball State by only 5. Another game where we were favored big against an opponent that had no business uh, being in the game late. 2016, Western Michigan lose by one. That's the, you know, uh, Thorson fumbled out of bounds on basically the one, like from the one yard line as he was about to score the game winning touchdown. The following week, following week lose to Illinois State, seven to nine. Uh, last year, I guess, you know, I guess you could say we were sluggish against Nevada, but nothing, nothing really bit us. And then now the loss to Akron. We should never play the Mac. These schools get up for Northwestern. We are not up for them. The, these schools get up for the Big Ten. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's not just Northwestern. It's the Big Ten because you know it's the same geographic footprint, and everyone who goes to a Mac school has been told no by a Big Ten school, right? So they all come into a game against the Big Ten with a gigantic chip on their shoulder, and more often than not, it, it's competitive. I think too, and I, I've said this to myself because I think we've been up and down this hill so many times, as Scuzz amply illustrated. So, there. Sorry, sorry, y'all. I've got I've got a worse the, list of games for later. <laughs> yeah, um, that I think one important thing to remember is that when you evaluate Fitz and his coaching staff, and you're talking about it's two top assistants. I mean, it's a family. I mean, we they they use that word all the time, but you're talking about these guys have all been you know this staff's been intact for a decade. And or longer, and these guys, the stability um, that that environment brings, and the fact that when these guys have had opportunities to take other jobs, they have not taken them, nor they do they desire to. For for the nucleus of our coaching staff, this is the destination, and that's a really big thing. And it's you can't put a price tag on it. You can't underestimate the value it has in recruiting, the value it has in stability, the things it allows you to do. I think about that sometimes when the glaring X's and O's problems uh, rear their head because I think it's easy to say, look, there are a million offensive coordinators who would go to Fitz and be like, what the hell are you doing in this game? What are you allowing McCall to do up there? Um, and uh, that's true. Uh, that is inarguable. That really is an issue. And But the idea of that you bring in some young ingenue and that he would do this incredible job for a year and then not leave for the first job that became available. It's, we are wedded to the character of this coaching staff, for better and worse. And let's be honest, it's far more for better than it is for worse. But personality feeds into this. And I think all the games that Scuzz cited, we were in the stands for just about all of those games, and there was at least one glaring moment where... It was, in this game, I'll just illustrate by example, early on in the game, on a third and short and then a fourth and short, we just stuffed it into the line against a front that was between 9 and 11 men with two of our starting <laughs> offensive linemen out. It's 9 and, and 11 men! Oh. And, after, and after that, they cut to Fitz, who was livid. Not like livid like I'm putting on a show, like legitimately livid. Because in his mind, the fact that we couldn't just tough those yards out was inexcusable. And that's the character of the man. And it guides a lot of the decisions in games like this. I'm too stubborn to show 
the Big Ten opponents we have coming down the road, the full assortment of plays we are going to call and the variety in which we are going to call those calls drive to drive. And I'm going to rest the maximum amount of guys I can. And we are just going to win this by straight out being tougher than the other team. And it's one of those things that sounds great in a movie, but in real life, (laughs) it's you're going to hamstring you. And basically, there comes a point in all of these games, every one that Scuzz mentioned, and certainly the Akron game, where suddenly there's that realization moment by everybody on the Northwestern sideline that, oh my gosh, this could be a game we lose. And then we play like a team desperately trying to get the win and we escape by the skin of our teeth. But you know what? You can't Milton Burl it every single time and not expect something to go horribly wrong one of those times. And uh, that's what happened here. And I think that's the and – it's and again, Sam said it earlier. The flip side is we've all seen enough of these to know that in this almost spooky way, it has little bearing on the football that is to come. Um, this, this kind of horror show that rears its head every now and then seems to exist as an organism by itself. And then we're all just stuck with it weeks later when we aren't playing football, anything like that, wondering why that was done to us for better or worse. And what's hilarious is, you know, when you combine this with the rest of what happened in the big 10, just, you know, teams losing to, you know, Wisconsin losing, Nebraska losing, um, you know, just all of these teams losing it, the national media and kind of the, yeah, the national media has this sense of, oh, oh the big 10, no, oh, it's struggling. And, you know, you can't look at it like that. You can't judge a conference by the the group of the teams. You know, you have to really drill into, okay, what happened at, in Madison, that let BYU beat Wisconsin. That's different than what happened in Nebraska that Troy went in there and you know, beat the Cornhuskers. What happened in Evanston that let Akron go in and beat Northwestern. It's not you know, an indictment on the conference as a whole. I, I, I think that's kind of a, a short-sighted way that the uh, national media is putting on it. Well, I mean, that's, you know, sound bites and whatnot, right? But yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I, I, well, and, and I, I think... I think what this really underscores, and, and John, you you called it out a second ago, and and Sam, your point that like you have you can't just look at all these these games and say, oh well, the Big Ten sucks, Northwestern sucks, uh, let's you know give up, whatever. Th- this situation has occurred in there are two only two seasons in the Fitz era where I couldn't find an obvious candidate for one of these games in in the non-con, and. There's a whole bunch of those seasons that ended up really, really good. In fact, there's three of those seasons that ended up with ten wins. So, th- like, this doesn't have a lot of bearing on what's going to happen down the track. We're going to talk about some good stuff. We've we've even got some pirate booty to hand out uh, to some individual players in this game. It'll be hard to give some stuff to, like, first-half Thorson and not second-half Thorson, but I digress. Like, the point being... The Cats can move on from this, and, and it's, it's mind-numbingly frustrating as a fan... Um, but I will remind everyone later in my final thought of what the actual worst games uh, that Northwestern has lost in the last 20 years are, because while this really sucked in the moment and it was, it was, it was a terrible ending. um, It was a meltdown. We've, we've mainly maybe only seen two or three other meltdowns that were on par with this one. 
But in the grand scheme, this is not a game that uh, impacts our quest to challenge for the West title. It is potentially a game that could impact our bowl eligibility. That's probably the one like major negative, but it's not a major recruiting uh, weekend. It's not a major national game where, you know, Northwestern gets embarrassed on, on uh, national television or anything like that. Like in the grand scheme, this is a game that is going to be remembered by diehard fans like ourselves. And that's about it. And hopefully the rest of the season goes more to, uh, to the way we hope it goes. And, we can all pray to God that our coaching staff learns not to do this against Mac teams in 2019, 20, 21, 22, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I wouldn't bet on it folks, but, um, it, you know, this, this is not rock bottom. Uh, not surprisingly in you, Twitter was reacting on Saturday night. Like, like it was like, it was rock bottom. It's, it's far from it. Yeah. I think, you know, what a, a good way to illustrate, I, one thing, time that had me really mad i mean one of the dangers of this and again here's a juxtaposition right if lane kiffin is the head coach of northwestern we're up 45 nothing at the half against akron because he's just a cold-hearted machine and he's like "Ooh, i have an opportunity to score a million points in this game and really hurt the other team that's what i'm going to do do you you mean he's a self-promotional eagle self-promoting egomaniac yes so that's what he would do on that foot, like, and then the minute he had a chance to leave Northwestern, he would leave Northwestern. Like, that's the other side. Like, that's the flip side is college football is such an itinerant sport, yet we somehow have this nucleus that has stayed in place and is thinking, like, over there, well, we're just going to win this by playing Northwestern football, which, yes, it's it's one of those annoying platitudes, but buried under this is guys who have a vision for Northwestern and want to ride that vision forever into the sunset, and that's a great thing. Um, but with all that said, when Jeremy Larkin went down with what at the time looked like a potentially serious injury in the second half, and this was before the bottom had totally fallen out, I was sitting there thinking he shouldn't even be in right now, but we've played such a game that he must be in at this point. Um, and the other play that really stands out in my mind that I think for maybe some real football purists, um, maybe elicited a little bit of a freakout factor was on the play that Thorson fumbled. JB Butler got obliterated by the defensive lineman from Akron, uh, which led directly to the sack. And on one hand, you want to be like, look, Scott spent all this time talking about how Tommy Joles and JB Butler are road graders out there and everything. Well, you know what happens when you spend three quarters telling the other team that they might have a shot at the biggest win in program history, the players start playing out of their flipping minds trying to get the win. Like, you've t- you've allowed the other team to dream as big as their team has ever dreamed ever. And they're going to start playing like superhumans if you allow such a thing to happen. So somewhere in between there and, like, death robot win coach... There's like a a reasonable ground that I feel like we can arrive at uh, where we take care of business in the first half. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. We were up 21 to 3 at the end of the first half. We took care of business in the first half. Yeah, and I mean, I guess part of it too is that Akron, you know, there is that little of the weird character, right, where Akron was actually playing better football in the first half than they let on because of the god-awful penalties. I mean, they committed so many penalties in the first half of that game. Yeah, um, their, their poor center had, what, like 
eight or nine penalties just on himself. Right. I will say too, though, here, one place we should give credit, and I know as a Northwestern fan, I mean, you're just thinking about the nature of the plays, etc. But for anyone who actually listened to our whole Akron preview from this summer, when we explained that Akron, despite having a lousy offense and defense last year, was able to win their half of the MAC, the reason was turnovers. Akron fielded a crazy, they had commit, they caused a crazy amount of turnovers last year. So for Akron, they're just drawing a direct line between that and this. They're being like, turnovers, that's what we do. Um, so again, like, you take it with a grain of salt, but I mean, like, we played, we, we let turnovers decide the game against the team that is great at creating turnovers. I want to focus on something positive. Um, yeah, no, at, absolutely. And, and that's the last drive of the first half because this was a very un-Northwestern drive. Um, and, and it's kind of the one thing that goes against everything we've been talking about to date. And that's we, we got the ball with 39 seconds left. And granted, we got a, a personal foul that uh, really, you know, pushed the ball up to the 44-yard line. And our usual MO in this situation is let's run one play and see what happens and then take a knee and let the, let the clock run out and go to, go to the second half. And we ran one play, and it was like your class. It was a four-yard pass to Skoranek, kind of like your classic thing that happens in this situation. And he got out of bounds, but many, many times in the past we've seen, all right, well, we just got four yards. There's only 38 seconds left. We'll take a knee. Uh, and we didn't do that. We unleashed Clayton Thorson in a five-wide, two-minute drill exercise. This was clearly a test of, all right, Clayton, let's see how you're doing. Let's check your readiness. Boom. And dude annihilated Akron and in 31 seconds had driven uh, 56 yards for a touchdown. And it was nice. That throw to Cameron Green, I mean, it just, he, he owned them. And I, I came out of that drive thinking, my goodness, what a difference a healthy Clayton Thorson makes. And I bet the entire team felt the same way. And I think coming into the second half, they all they thought, ah, we got this game plan, dial back the playbook. Um, to your point, John, let's hide some stuff. So, but But that drive, that drive should make everyone feel so much better about the rest of this season and the next nine games on the calendar. Because after Duke, we were all worried. Like, wow, what are we going to be able to get from Thorson this year? Is he going to be right? Are we going to be able to stop this QB rotation? And I bet money that by the time we get to Michigan in two weeks, there will be no QB rotation. Uh, The game against Akron is the first time you saw Thorson really running uh, for first downs or or trying to use his legs um, to gain yardage. The the drive at the uh, the last couple drives, um, particularly where where uh, we scored the touchdown to get within five. Interceptions aside, <laughs> fumble aside, um, again Thorson looked good. Cameron Green, my God, Cameron Green, um, I yeah, just did, like did we did we miss him in the second half of the Duke oh. game? immensely uh so that like there are some really good things to take away from this game and and i and i 
I do wonder if that drive at the end of the half was was kind of a all right, we we got this and we shut it down and then realized too late uh, that we need that we that we needed to to step on the throat a little bit more. And you know, to your point with the QB rotation, Thorson played most of the game. I mean, I I can I can only really think of two or three TJ Green drives. The, there was one really critical one though, and that was. Coming out of half, they get a field goal. We essentially went three and out. They get their their like their nine play eighty yard touchdown, and then on the next drive is when we throw the ninety seven yard, uh, the ninety seven yard uh, interception return. We come out. Thorson drives down, scores. They come out. They get their two play seventy five. Like that was when they got their really big play touchdown. And on the next drive, we brought out TJ. I felt like that was such a critical spot. We needed to go back to Thorson, and and that and that you know we talked about it after the Duke game, right? That that inconsistency uh, with the QBs and with the offense and what that that does to the momentum and the rhythm and everything. Um, that felt like a like a like a bad moment to me. So I want to focus on I think getting down to the actual like X's and O's of. Again, just trying to divorce everything, right? All the people who are being like, sky is falling. Oh, my God. We're going to get fed into a Michigan wood chipper in two weeks. And it's like... Is that your I'm friend not... in a wood chipper, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say... Not Minnesota, Michigan. Right. I'm not going to say that we're going to do fantastic against Michigan. But what I am going to say is we've all been down this road. Again, this is... If there is a silver lining, it's that we've seen us do this and then play so much better in meaningful Big Ten games in the same season that any of these games have happened. Um, and with all that said, there are a couple things that I want to specifically talk about. Um, one, and it's probably the single most concerning thing to me um, about just the Cats going forward throughout the entire season. And and I think we played it is the five... Our starting five offensive linemen, the five guys that were on that were the starting five going into the season, we need at the maximum possible amount of snaps for all five of those guys to be on the field. We can miss one of them, but we certainly can't miss more than one. Because once you have two of those guys out, it really starts changing what you can do. And the drop-off, whether it be Gunnar Vogler, whoever else, um, from the top five guys to the next unit is a substantial drop-off, and it affects the different things we can do on the field. So having two of our starting offensive linemen out for this game, I know people are thinking, yeah, it's still Akron. Well, think for the first part that we are not running our, like, we're not running our max potential offense. We're not running the rhythm of offensive plays we're going to be looking to run in the Big Ten. We're not going to be running the full playbook. Yes, there were some pull plays, but don't look at this and just be like, oh, I thought our offensive line was good, and then Jeremy Larkin, you know, averaged 3.7 yards a carry. It's very important that we rested two guys for this game because we need those five guys. The character of that unit all moving together means a lot. And if anything, the fact that these guys are banged up early has me more worried than anything. But my hope is that, you know, this two weeks plus this game that they didn't play is a lot of time for that unit to get back together. Um, and when they do, I fully expect, I don't care what it looked like against Akron, uh, a different animal. On the flip side, the defensive side of the ball, right? Did Akron do anything against us on the ground? No. They averaged 2.5 yards a carry. Through the air, they threw for 277 yards. 
all but a hundred of that was on four plays. So the issue is just the big plays. Greg Newsom, rough day for Greg. Um, and again, it's the time when you remember that he's a fantastically talented, incredibly athletically gifted, true freshman. And they got, I mean, they got him. Cutcliffe got him the week before and they got him in this game. And I encourage anyone to go back four years ago and watch the tape of Godwin Igubuike as a freshman. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. Just an amazing athlete that sometimes is a little bit of a chicken with the head cut off. It's time. Not everyone's just ready to be an amazing cover corner right off the bat. I mean, that's what happens when you play a true freshman. That kind of thing, I kind of feel like, is naturally going to um, like correct itself. Jared McGee was over-aggressive in this game and got burned once. On the flip side, Jared McGee also was in the backfield for three tackles for loss. So Jared, I think, just came out just fired up. But um, again, like I think that kind of stuff just naturally comes with time. But from from like an X's and O's and like a real like inside football standpoint, it's the cohesiveness of the line and those guys staying together. That's the thing I'm crossing my fingers the hardest about. Shall we give out some pirate booty before we, uh, you know, kind of close the door on this and never speak of it again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, I I wanted I actually want to take Jerry McGee because he uh, he led the team in tackles. And he did have three TFLs. They um, they put him up on the line, much like uh, much like in the role that uh, Kyle Cairo played in years past, and used him in some really intense run blitz packages that dis- you know were really disruptive to Akron. And uh, I thought I thought that was great. I thought he was pretty good in pass coverage. John, you mentioned, yep, he was he was a little over aggressive at times, but uh, all in all, a pretty good day for Jared. And uh, I think he deserves a little shout out. For me, I'll take Bennett Skoranek. Um I admit, you know, Bennett's been doing this for years. He's obviously our number one, you know, end zone target jump ball receiver has been since he was a freshman. But I have to admit, even I, with all, you know, all the plays, the Bennett Skoranek plays I've run, my jaw dropped a couple of times in this game with the athleticism. Um, I, I, you wouldn't have to work hard to convince me that this guy could take a dollar off the top of a backboard and leave change. Um, the leaping ability combined with the height is just amazing. I mean, you can call that touchdown play at the end of the game, a fluke. Um, and it certainly was a fortunate play, but when one guy's enormous with great hands and can out jump all the other guys, plays like that can start to happen. And, um, his ability to just to, to leap is it's an incredible thing. And yes, he's not the most fleet of foot, but boy, um, it's it's nice to know later in the season that we're going to have a target like that to heave jump balls up to. Uh, I'm going to give some pirate booty to uh, Clayton Thorson's security blanket, uh, Mr. Cam Green. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Ooh, but Nelly. Yeah, I mean, talk about a guy who you know you need a few yards, you need like five or six yards, get it to Cam Green because he's going to he's gonna catch it. It's, he's going to be able to go over the middle, take pounding from the linebackers, and come down with the ball. I mean, 11 catches for 125 yards, 11.4 per, uh, per catch and two touchdowns. So, you know, he had a, he had a wonderful game. And uh, 
and especially like like I mentioned earlier, not having him in the second half of that Duke game was just really kind of put the spotlight on how important he is to the success of, of the Northwestern offense. Him and Skoranek in the red zone. Oh my God. Creates a really, really fantastic opportunity for, for the cats going forward. Yeah. Especially when, when you put in, you know, the Larkin and what, he, what he's able to do, um, you know, Busting tackles, making people miss. I mean, he—he's. You know, we got a lot that we can do in the red zone, and you know that maybe we haven't had in years past. Yep. You know, the one of the this isn't a pirate booty, but the one other thing I did want to call out before we probably put a bow on this thing is um, similar to the Duke game where we saw the Cats trying to go deep uh, quite often to JJ Jefferson. I think they they went at they went at him four times. Uh, the Cats threw it deep to Kyrick McGowan for a a large 43-yard gain in this game. You also saw Kyrick on kickoff returns uh, with a with a 25-yard average, like pretty decent. And what what I love is that we are continuing to see the Cats look for opportunities to to find that that speed element and how they can they can bring it in the game. We've got you know we talked about this preseason. We've got a lot of these guys that are smaller of stature that have a lot of speed we are trying to figure out how to get them involved and and in re- in reasonably smart ways too i think um and i'm excited about that like we're not we're not just seeing the jelani package over and over again like we did a couple of years ago we're seeing um us actually trying to establish that downfield speed threat to go with the the kind of possession opportunities that skoranek and, and cam green give you and that's that's exciting. I really hope we continue to see that during the Big Ten. Uh, I love that we finally connected on one of these big balls uh, against against Akron. You know, we'll see. Those those, those guys are are not matchup problems, and that they've got the speed, but they don't have the size to really you know win fifty fifty balls downfield. So it's got to be open for it to work. So yeah, let's go ahead and, and put a bow on this. And like I said, never speak of it again. Um, and, and it, 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 as a way to pivot, let's say we're not the only fan base saying, and now let us never speak of this again <laughs> in, the, in the Big Ten West. Do you guys want me to do my actual worst losses bit now or save it for final thoughts? Uh, bring it now. Let's do it now. All right. So, people, this was not the worst loss in the Fitz era in recent Northwestern history. It's not even close. Um, some of the reason for that is just like, Again, this is a Mac game on the, at least in my area, not even the primary Big Ten Network channel um, that nobody really is going to remember in a few years. The only like horrible thing about this is the is is the potential implications for bowl eligibility, etc. Uh, at the end of this season. But let me remind you of um, the the other twenty worst losses of my time as a Northwestern fan. Oh boy. I'm going to start back in 1998 when we lost to what at the time was an 0-11 Illinois team. They got their first one of the season against us. Everybody thought they were the worst team in Div- in Division One, but in reality it was us. Um, 1999 at Purdue, we're actually we're competing. We have like we have a chance to win. Kevin in, Bentley's pick six. Yeah, yeah. we're doing just mean things uh, to Purdue. And then Drew Brees throws a 99-yard touchdown pass. There was holding. 
There was holding in the end zone <laughs> that should have been a safety. I was calling that game for WNUR. Ugh. Yep. Uh, the year 2000, we went to Iowa, and we lost the Rose Bowl. Scuzz, you and I were both on the sideline oh, for that game. That was that was painful. Um, some crazy elderly Iowa fan screamed obscenities at me and the rest of the band as we marched by preseason and or pregame, and then like threw apples at us. It was very unpleasant. Uh, it was also like two degrees. Later that year, uh, Nebraska, the bowl game, the blowout in the Alamo Bowl that Ugh. probably set our program back four years. Uh, 2001, the game against Penn State. The Cats were up. I don't quite recall how much, but the Cats were up. We were winning that game. And then um, I, f- I forget the name of the dude, but it was like their third string quarter, like walk-on quarterback came in and we couldn't stop him. They end up winning. It, it That was the game where Joe Paterno broke Bobby, Brow- Bob- Bobby Bowden's win record um, or, uh, or Bear Bryant's win record. And then that was also the point at which our 20, 2001 season fell off a cliff. Uh, later that year, we lost 42-41 to 41 to Bowling Green, who scored what should have been the game-tying touchdown and then lined up to go for two, and we had no idea that that, that might be a possibility. Like, we were completely out of position, and they waltzed in the end zone. The following year, we kicked off the season with a 52-3 to three loss at Air Force, <laughs> where I, they averaged what felt like 12 yards per carry. Um, yeah, that was awful. That was a really bad year, 2002. The next year, I will I will never forget. This is this is my well, there's another one. There's two others that come really close, but this is one of my worst as a fan because we it was our first home game. We're playing Air Force and or maybe it was our second home game, but we're playing Air Force. It's the rematch from the prior year and we are we are doing well. We are winning. Brett Bazinet has established himself as a sophomore like the team looks good. And then we allow Air Force to score three touchdowns on their last three drives to lose the game. It was um, it was brutal. 2004, at Hawaii. Oh, no. Yep, yep. The refs, <sighs> the refs screwed us out of a game in Hawaii, uh, which also resulted in us losing bowl eligibility because we were 6-7. and seven. Uh, 2005. It, it, that, was, that was a fun trip, though. That was a really G- fun game trip. Game aside, we had a good yeah. time. 2005, another fun trip. Um well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, to El Paso, the Sun Bowl. We were up twenty-two nothing in the first quarter. In a in a drunken fit of uh, that, I'll always regret. I ran up to all of you guys and said, "I'm happier than I've ever been." Yeah, and we proceeded to lose the game, um, including two onside kicks returned for touchdowns. The following year, 2006, it is still the NCAA record for uh, biggest comeback victory, Michigan State come back from what 35 down yep 35 to 3 35 yep. to 3 yeah so it was what 31 down yeah uh i lived in new zealand in 2007 so i don't have any games from there but in 2008 remember this game we were at indiana and uh cj Bechet gets knocked out of the game and they bring in kafka and the oh, first like yeah. he fumbles backwards like 22 yards on his first snap and uh, except it I, wasn't a fumble he threw it yeah, he kind of threw he was it kind of turned around and threw it, and it was backwards. <laughs> oh, it was bad. Um, and then IU won that game twenty one nineteen. Later that year in two thousand and eight, uh, our our buddy John Eller's worst moment: um, the Alamo Bowl, losing lose to Missouri, and even worse, Corey Wooten sustains a knee injury on the literal last play of the game. 
2009, the Outback and, and, Bowl. And he almost, got, he almost got uh, the Texas Rangers called on him. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, the Outback Bowl the following year against Auburn and just how close we came to winning that. And just, like, let me just – we almost lost to Eastern Michigan at the beginning of that season, and then we gave Auburn everything they could handle in the bowl game. That's just, like – Exhibit number one of how like little this Akron game means for the rest of, of this year at this stage. Uh, 2010, the Wrigley game. First game after Percy gets injured. What a what a catastrophic disaster that was. Game day was there. Um, that was an embarrassment on a national level. Uh, 2013, the Nebraska Hail Mary. 2014, the Moon game against Michigan where Trev uh, fell down on the two-point conversion. And then, even worse, the last game of that season, after Trevor got hurt against Purdue, we lost to Illinois uh, and lost out on bowl eligibility. And then uh, the two, the 2016 games, the Western Michigan game, fumbling it out uh, on the game-winning touchdown, and then uh, just a complete and total mental let- letdown the next week against Illinois State. And the funny, you know, the funny thing about all this too, we're all in the orbit of 40 right now. Which means that as many games hey as now, you just cited, you, you don't as, round up, John. <laughs> there, there's, just, there's there's no rounding here. I'm a man. I, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my my point is right. All the games you just cited are in the post Rose Bowl era. We fully admit anyone fifty, sixty. Oh older, yeah. Can just go season by season. Yeah, so, <laughs> we take them all off. We can't compete with that, um, right? But uh, that, so that, I mean, right. The, the ultimate point is right. Is perspective is very important here. Um, it's funny, you know, just looking at all this too, and thinking about all these games and the games that really you know matter at the end of the day, and just looking and I mean, I know we're going to kind of talk a, up a little bit about it, but. The, just if you look at the Big Ten West right now, um, and you look at the way everyone's playing and the way you know, if you can honestly look yourself in the mirror and be like, "How do we match up against all of these teams?" and then look at who we're still playing, the path that you know, the path we would have to follow to be either second or third in the Big Ten West is a pretty reasonable path, um, and that's something that everyone needs to kind of keep in mind going forward. So let's talk about the, the the rest of the Big Ten last weekend. Um, and I don't I don't want to go too deep into the uh, the Ohio State TCU game. Um, Ohio State just looked really good. Yeah, I don't think there's any need to. And yeah. you know, I I expected TCU to be a, a little bit better, but Ohio State is a very good football team, and with Urban Meyer coming back, doesn't seem to have bothered the the team on the field with the all of the nonsense off the field. Um, I'd expect to see Ohio State, you know, deep into this season, well into playoff contention. Um, let's talk BYU-Wisconsin a little bit. Where was Squally Canada when I thought that BYU was going to crush Cal in week one? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and then lost to Cal. Um, I would, I, I'm going to say Cal is better than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for, but the the point still stands. Mm, yeah, maybe. To a, there's, to they our, might be secretly decent. To our earlier point, too, never underestimate a team that wants a game so, so bad as BYU did. I mean, they played out of their minds defensively in the second half of that game. And and Um, here's how you you knew they were loose. Here's how you knew that they were ready. Fourth quarter comes around, jump around, 
BYU, every BYU player is jumping around to jump around at, at Camp Randall. They are all participating in it and loving it. And I think the Wisconsin players are like, wait a sec, what? Or they're, they're that loose that they're, they're doing that. I, that was really cool to see. I, I think this was, this was a classic Wisconsin game where the, the running back is good, but not good enough to like single handedly beat the other team. And they need something from their QB and Hornybrook just didn't have a great game. He was less than 50% completion. He was under uh, seven yards per attempt, uh, seven yards per attempt. And he threw a pick and that was, that was enough uh, to make the difference. Like I think, I think BYU, they played, these two teams played last year and there was a lot of storytelling from the, um, from the announcers about how BYU really emphasized uh, getting stronger and bigger on, especially on the defensive line, on the offensive line that they, they controlled the game um, in the trenches, which against Wisconsin, I mean, we know how good their two lines are. That's, that's what Wisconsin does. They, they basically beat Wisconsin with their own game. And it's, Really impressive. And and another thing they were doing is they were really running a lot of misdirection. They ran a lot of jet sweeps. They were mm-hmm, they were mm-hmm. really moving the point of attack around a lot. They weren't just pounding it at them, but like they were really I, they had Wisconsin on the heels. Like they, they, I don't think Wisconsin expected what uh, BYU brought. They really established the 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 way you beat Wisconsin as a less talented team I, the, and, and Wisconsin has not lost many games like that in the past, but um, they basically said, Wisconsin, we don't think you have the speed in your linebackers. Um, and they didn't. I'm, I mean, it all, I mean, we'll talk about this eventually, but I mean, this is all makes this Iowa game coming up for the Badgers. So interesting. Fascinating. I was, Iowa's defense has been great this year, but the big thing about it is, Iowa's defense is good in the best possible place to deal with Wisconsin, and that is their front four. Um, and that front four has been just awesome this year. I mean, you saw Iowa State, three points against the Hawkeyes, came out and put up 27 in a competitive game against Oklahoma the week after. Um, so, I mean, all, all of a sudden, I mean, it's, it's getting really real. I'm, credit to the Hawkeyes. They have looked really good so far this season, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, Nate Stanley, not so much. No, not so I mean, much. Stanley had a good game against Northern. I mean, yes, Northern Iowa, but Stanley was 23 or 28, 309 and two touchdowns. So that's, yeah. that's a good game granted against Northern Iowa, but, but he looked like garbage against Northern Illinois and Iowa state. True. Yeah. I, and again, I like it's, but it's sort of feeling like a low scoring game that could go either way. And, and the winner of that game immediately is the presumptive favorite in the Big Ten West, for sure. 100%. Um, so it's, it's a huge game. Um, Penn State uh, mops the floor with Kent State. I You know, I need to take back – well, they haven't quite really played anyone to, yet. You don't have to take it back yet, it, but you can definitely throw an asterisk up. Outside of the first game of the year, Penn State seems to have found their way on offense, and and the, the truth is their skill players are ludicrously good. Um, KJ Hamler, their their wide receiver number one, that dude is unbelievable. Um, and Miles Miles Sanders is at as advertised. He's very very good. He is not Saquon Barkley, but he's very very good. McSorley has been decent. His numbers weren't great in this game, but the talent, especially at wide receiver, has just been unreal. 
I'm, I will still be fascinated to see what happens when they, when they get into the meat of their schedule. Um, you mean, at, you mean when they play Illinois? The oh God, I can't wait. Um, but in two weeks against Ohio State, that's you know obviously that's when rubber meets the road. But I, I, I still don't feel good about their staff in a tight game or a tight situation. Um, but they've they've outside of the very first game of the year against Appalachian State, they've lived up to uh, what everybody thought they'd be coming into the year, except me. <laughs> of course, of course. Again, I can't stress this enough. This start to their year isn't as good as last year's start to the year was. And that team still was not the team in conference play that they appeared to be in non-con. So uh, let's see what they look like against the Buckeyes in two weeks. Um, Michigan beats SMU 45-20. to Yep. Uh, Kansas beat Rutgers 55-14. to That's oh, right. Oh, man. Kansas. It's boy. I mean, I. What can you say? I mean, Kansas. To their credit, uh, they lost to. First of all, they had that horrific loss to Nickel State, which everyone kind of rolled their eyes and said it was Kansas. If Kansas doesn't blow that game, they're three and zero right now. And since they won that game, they ended their road losing streak that went like for a million years by. Um, beating who was it central michigan yep and then smoked rutgers but yeah i think the larger message is just dear god rutgers how are you in the big 10 uh indiana beat ball state 38 10 uh maryland gets beat at home by temple 35 14 i i i mean my head is just spinning on this one because i had i was not surprised by that at all I immediately expected, I was like, yeah, that's going to make sense when Texas gets smoked by USC and then Texas destroyed USC. So I don't know what the deal is. Um, I guess Texas has a way of doing this, although usually it's like they'll lose to someone got awful and then beat Oklahoma. But like, I, I still haven't, I can't put any, any spin on this. Freshman QB with a banged up hand and a coach that probably shouldn't be coaching USC. I'll just, I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about Troy? Ah, yes! Oh, yes. <laughs> Nothing. So, the number one thing that makes me happy is Northwestern. The number two thing that makes me happy is everybody else who's playing Illinois. And the number three thing that makes me happy is when we get a team, just like when we just peg a team perfectly, we pegged Nebraska perfectly. Yeah. This team is... I mean, they're just a god-awful mess. I mean, they're going to go on the road to this Michigan defense next week, and I don't know what. I mean, I like if you think Adrian Martinez, who was in uniform for some reason for the Troy game. They announced uh, him as the starter on the scoreboard before the game. It's like the world is playing a giant prank on Nebraska fans. Yeah, I like if you think they're going to put him in the blender against the Wolverines, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, they, but you don't think you don't think they will? I I think he might be back. I I think oh, he will god, too for like two plays. I don't even. Oh I, my god! I think they might play him. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But um, again, again, we told you Troy was going to expect to win this game, and they absolutely expected to win this game. Um, and but I mean, it was just they were the better team. I mean, that was clear. And yes, the Huskers could have won, and yes, it was close. But it was more just parts, just Troy kind of trying to get out of their own way for parts of it. 
And, uh, I mean, yeah. As as Scuzz had said, we told you Nebraska was going to be really, really bad. Other people told you they were going to go 7-5 and five and beat Iowa. Uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, if they score against Iowa, oh my god. Um, yeah. I, Everyone remember that Nebraska has games at Michigan, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, at Ohio State, at Iowa. They're already... They already have two two losses. They were awful last year with a quarterback situation that is noticeably better than what this year's quarterback yeah, that's, situation that's is. that's true, isn't it? I mean, my God. Uh, you got Minnesota over Miami, Ohio, 26-3. Um, let, let's So I'm more curious about Minnesota than I am about any other team in the Big Ten West right now. I want to know what's there, and I, I don't feel like we really know yet. Yeah, I, but, I was. But just they about... certainly have. I mean, they certainly have stuffed their face full of creamy frosting. Like yeah, I'll give them that. It's, yeah, I... it, it's the creamy frosting. I mean, like you're. What's What's interesting is that they've lost both of their starting running backs from the last two years, and they kind of didn't miss a beat on the ground. Bryce Williams ran for 141 yards on 33 carries. He's a true freshman. Um, that's pretty impressive. Tyler Johnson, who's their good wide receiver, he had a huge day with three TDs. Um, but Anikstad didn't look so good at QB. He was you know twelve of twenty for one forty two. I mean, not great. Oh. I guess they didn't need to do much through the air though. So that that just that that you just reminded me too. Uh, Arthur Sitkowski was benched in the second half of the Rutgers Kansas game. Yeah. So uh, second second uh, you know. First year freshman as the second coming might be a little bit overblown. Might want to pump the brakes on some of this stuff. <laughs> well, Sikowski was the primary QB at IMG, and Ekstad was the number two. So, right at Soldier Field, South Florida, <laughs> twenty-five. I wish Illinois I had another 19. beer. I wish I had another beer. I'd already, I've already finished my Guinness. Oh, I. Uh... It, so it my, really made me nervous that Illinois was winning that game most of the way, and then South Florida was like, "Wait a second, this is Illinois. Come on." I'm not convinced that South Florida is that great, but we'll see. I'm convinced Illinois is not. I so my favorite part of this game was I'm pretty sure I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure Lovey Smith fell asleep on his feet at some point, <laughs> some point in the third <laughs> quarter. And then, and then woke up at some point in the fourth, and he had this look on his face like he just had no idea what happened, like he was still kind of groggy and was like, weren't we winning? Like, it was perfect. It was just perfect. Uh, it, the exact look I want to see out of Illinois' field general at all times, it was just awesome. I mean, Blake, Blake Barnett lit up the Illini. He happened to throw two picks. That's a lot of why they were still in this game, but 411 yards, an average of 10.3 I mean, Blake Barnett did go to Alabama briefly, but has, you know, this is the first time he's won a starting job, I think, at three schools. So I'm not, you know, going to be too thrilled with his with his pedigree. Um, I, yeah, I just don't know that, that South Florida is that great. And I'm confident Illinois is not good. <laughs> and Well, that's Illinois has they don't know what they're doing at quarterback um, They between Rivers and Bush. I just. They don't have a clue. I think Bush is injured. Yeah, I and Rivers is. I mean, I you know, he can roll right. <laughs> there's there's not a heck of a lot else. And with all respect to Mike Epstein, who's got 
fairly respectable stats so far. I mean, like, if if that's what they're taking into Big Ten season, like, that's non-existent. Uh, we've got Missouri over Purdue, 40-37. to 37. And uh, I do want to go on record. I Yes, Purdue looked great. David Blau had a monster game. But I believe I was the only one who thought that uh, Missouri was going to win this game. Credit where credit is due. Um, I feel so bad for Missouri. I mean, not for Missouri, uh, for Purdue, because um, we talked so much about how this was kind of going to be a, a potential pivot season for Brom, and this is like a real deal and a real upward trajectory. And I mean, this they're in the middle of just their worst nightmare season. I mean, they've lost three games by a combined, what, eight points, all of them at home. Now they have a good BC team coming up. Um, then they get Nebraska and Illinois, which might be the cure for what ails them. But you know, they, they might be zero and four going into that, right? And, and, and you know, you're zero and four getting into the meat of Big Ten season. There's not a lot of room for error, right? And I and there's and you look at the back half of their schedule, and there's just not a lot of winnable games for them. Um, we we it's, we talked about Brom, but we also talked about the fact that their schedule was harder this year. The defense sure. was worse this year, and they didn't have an answer at QB to, to unleash the, the Brom offense, um, and that we thought that they were probably better off trying to lean on their running game. They abandoned the running game entirely. They ran 16 times for 42 yards. David Blau threw 55 times for almost 600. And I like this is I don't think Purdue can win operating that way because their defense isn't good enough. And the the interesting outcome of all of this might be that, that they get to keep Jeff Brom for another year um, because their, their record won't look good enough this year for him to get like serious consideration for a big job. Yeah, no, that, that is definitely, I mean, the shines run up, you know, faded from the bloom a little bit. Um, Iowa beat Northern Iowa 38-14. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. That's uh, kind of the wrap-up of the Big Ten for Week 3. Um, briefly just want to run through the Week 4 schedule uh, You know, with Northwestern on a bye. Um, we're actually now getting into kind of the heart of, of well, for the beginning of conference play for most teams. Um, Friday night, uh, Penn State at Illinois. Oh, boy. That, yeah, Penn State is a twenty-eight point favorite. Yeah, that that seems about right. I yep. feel like yep. yeah, nodding vigorously. Uh, Nebraska at Michigan. Uh, there is no line on that, probably because uh, of the question mark at, at quarterback for Nebraska. I, <laughs> I it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I, Nebraska's not scoring points in that game. I don't know what to, I don't know how to how to phrase that any better. It's funny, you know, looking at Purdue's schedule, we were talking about before. I was like, yeah, they're going on the road to Nebraska. It's like, well, if Blau can throw for five hundred yards against Missouri, he can throw for five hundred yards against Nebraska. Purdue's going to be in that game. Uh, but yeah, no fun for the Huskers this week. Uh, you mentioned the BC at Purdue game. BC is six and a half point favorite. Gee, that seems. Yeah, I, so that seems high, but I don't know. Maybe we're too high on Purdue. Uh, Buffalo at Rutgers. No line. Buffalo's not going to need Khalil Mack to be in this game. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to be uh, – they're 
there. But God, can you imagine if Khalil Mack was playing for Buffalo in this game? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, let's put it this way. Not a huge talent discrepancy, one side of the ball to the other in this game. Buffalo uh, Buffalo won at Temple two weeks ago, and remember the Temple just beat Maryland by 20. Right. Uh, Minnesota at Maryland. That I mean, that's going to be interesting, you know, for sure. We'll we'll learn something here about uh, what both you know, both teams. I think Minnesota going on the road. It'll be their first time away from home. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what this game looks like. Yeah, will will Maryland be able to bounce back from that uh, Temple drubbing? Uh, Tulane at Ohio State. Pass. Fine, wonderful. <laughs> uh, get guess guess the line. Why well, it's, it's a, you're look you're looking at I'm, it. I'm looking at it. Yeah, John, get, guess the line. Oh, uh, let's see, thirty-five. Close, thirty-six and a half. Woo-hoo, not bad. Uh, Michigan State at Indiana. That's another interesting one. Michigan State. Everyone's waiting for the game when they just look awesome. Um, it wasn't Arizona State, so. Um, you know, they should be the better team, clearly, against Indiana. But um, going on the road, we'll see. They didn't look good against Utah State either. Uh, and they got, an, they got a week off, right? They had last week off to prepare for this. But Indiana's looked pretty decent. I mean, they haven't really played anyone, like, at FIU, Virginia. I, I don't know. Um, they crushed Ball State. This is This is another game where, like, I think conventional wisdom that Michigan State should win makes a lot of sense. But... That IU defense is enough to to make me think that Lewerke could could struggle. And then the, the game we we mentioned a little bit earlier, Wisconsin at Iowa, seven thirty Central on Fox. Night Massive night game. game, Kinnick Stadium. That's the Gus game, isn't it? That that's the Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt game. I mean, oh, that'll all, be fun. I mean, kind of unexpectedly. Just a massive game for Iowa. Um, I mean, I'm sure it was going to be a big game for them anyway, but I think based on the way they've played, relative to the way everyone else in the West has played, all of a sudden Iowa's thinking, you know, this could be the year they win the West if it starts right here. Wisconsin is an angry, angry three-point favorite. One thing I would like to see is Iowa pull this win off because Wisconsin is going to do a ton of damage at the Big Ten this year, and... uh, you know, carnage, dead bodies lying everywhere in the Big Ten West is a scenario that probably suits us, uh, as opposed to one team just running away with it. And I feel like Wisconsin's got a better chance of running away than Iowa. So if Iowa can nip them, uh, I think I'd rather see that. Ooh, Iowa's schedule, though, man. They play – I mean, they have a game at Penn State. Everything else is easy. Yeah, no, true. I don't know. I – Let's see. Let's ha- both. Let's have them both play like crap. That sounds good. <laughs> I do um, think. I do think Iowa's a better matchup for us than Wisconsin <laughs> is. So that's you know, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. Any uh, big games around the around the country that kind of are piquing your interest as we you know, kind of wrap this thing up? The the one I'm I'm interested in is A and M at Alabama. Alabama's a 26-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, A&M, granted it was at home, but they gave Clemson all they could handle. But I think Alabama might just be on another plane of existence, honestly. Please see Mississippi versus Alabama from uh, four days ago. 
Yeah. Plus, plus, I feel like Alabama, somewhere in their locker room, have that thing pasted up from like two weeks ago that said that Texas A&M is the most valuable college football program in the country. <laughs> and I feel like Alabama's just been staring at that for two weeks, and they're just going to take it out on A&M. I will say, too, um, is a credit to Jimbo Fisher. Is him leaving Florida State secretly, like, one of the best coaching decisions any coach has made of, like, did he <laughs> know? What did, what did he do to that program? Like, I mean, was he just staring at, like, a million leaks and being like, I think I'm the only one who sees this. Let me just walk off the boat now. Like, I, I mean... I mean, God, I, I want it to be that. I want to believe that it's not Taggart because, oh, my God. Um, I mean, his nightmare is bad enough as it is, but holy moly, FSU, my God. Um, but, yeah, but either way, like, I, that's, I'm pretty sure we're going to get peak Bama as we have all season. <laughs> uh, some interesting Pac-12 night games. Stanford at Oregon. Bryce Love will be back for this game. So I think that's – a pretty enticing situation. And then Herm Edwards goes to Washington against uh, Chris Peterson. Washington's a 17-point favorite. Um, but Herm has has already uh, beaten the odds once this year, so we'll see. That was at home. I mean, Herm did go on the – did you hear about the, the end of that Arizona State-San Diego State game? I did, no. and I forget now, like, what was goofy. There was something crazy about it. So um, – Arizona State is driving, driving to try and score a game tying or game winning touchdown. Um, like it's the last, last second to last play of the game. Um, deep pass, you know, out, you know, pass complete at the two yard line. The uh, uh, San Diego State guy just goes in head first, blatant targeting. Um, gets gets ejected while they're reviewing the targeting. They noticed that the pass was incomplete. They then ruled it an incomplete pass, and and said and uh, gave the fifteen yard penalty. Now they're throwing a hail mary from the forty five yard line instead of having uh, first and goal at the two, with two seconds left in the game. So, just bizarre. Very weird. Um, Speaking of which, we've gone this entire pod without talking about the North Texas punt return. I was I was just about to I was going to ask you know is is Arkans is uh, Auburn going to try and pull the same fake punt return fake fair catch that was amazing. <laughs> Arkansas is going to get seventy five hundred uh, interfering with the kick or interfering with the attempt to catch yeah. the kick penalty. Like the rest of the five season. different gunners are going to get ejected for targeting. Yeah. In this game, yeah. <laughs> um, I, so, but it's a good point. You know, the game that I'm going to highlight, North Texas, um, they're 3-0 and and have beaten the crap out of all three teams they've played, including SMU and at Arkansas, and they're into the Conference USA schedule. They don't play any other big-time teams the whole rest of the year. I mean, they host FAU at the end of the year. They host Louisiana Tech at the end of September. Um, but I mean, like the team that beat the ever loving tar out of Arkansas can win those two games and God love the mean green. They're at Liberty this week. Oh, score oh, 90. Just How, yeah. never let up. Never, never let, let up. Never stop scoring North Texas. If you can put up a hundred, put it up. 
I mean, they had they put up 44, 58, and 46 points the first three games yeah. of the year. So You can get to 80 against Liberty, and you need to do it. Those a-holes deserve it. Uh, shall we go ahead and put a bow on this one, gentlemen? Been uh, running a little bit long, but I think if, if you've made it to this point, hopefully you're in a better mood than you were when you started listening to this. We hope that we've helped get you through it. And remember, when it's t-shirt buying time. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, just to do, to, to play it both ways, I'll prepare a list of, uh, actual best wins during, during my time as a Northwestern fan for next week. So to, to counterbalance the worst losses from this week. Uh, is number one, 2000 Michigan. Don't spoil it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'll s- I'll say this. Probably. 2000, 2000, I'll say this. 2000 Michigan, my third favorite game of that season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should. Was a maybe, good, it was a good year. <laughs> let's pre, let's each prepare our top five best wins um, and see where see where we where we fall. Because I bet we won't have everything. Like, I might have to go with Gator Bowl as number one. All right. Just for what it meant at the time that's the that's the only win after which i've i've teared up let's let's get that right okay well yeah let, let's come back next week you know we got we got the bye week this weekend so next week we can come back and uh get a little crazy um i'll i'll be coming at you from the new westlaw pirate studio in uh south chicago yeah buddy yeah beverly boy yeah so uh that, that'll be interesting well, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. Uh, you can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.